Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the House of Bliss podcast. I want to do something today that I've never done before, and uh, that is I'm recording straight onto my iPhone. Because if you didn't know, my wife and I are moving away from Cleveland back to our homeland of the West Coast in about a week, and so all of our stuff is packed up. All of my nice microphones and audio equipment is packed up, and so I hope you can excuse me. This is going to be a super raw episode where I'm just talking straight into my iPhone here. Um, But I I wanted to say something before I leave. Um, It's been seven years that we've been here, seven years that we've poured our hearts into loving this neighborhood that we've been in, seven years that we've been gathering with um, the people who live in our neighborhood and uh, just having incredible encounters with Jesus together and discovering the heavens and, and exploring Jesus and that's it's it's a bittersweet thing because we have so much you know good ahead of us but at the same time it's like oh we really put our heart into into loving this place and and it's hard to say goodbye but I I wanted to do this because um this last Sunday we had sort of our last church worship home gathering in our backyard and it was such a sweet powerful time and so there I kind of thought about like, what is the last thing that I would want to say to Cleveland? If I could just address all of my Cleveland friends, what's the last thing that I would want to leave everybody with? And so that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today. And there's this scripture um, that I memorized a few weeks ago that's been on my heart and, and I've been just saying it over and over in my mind. And in my heart, inside, I've been treasuring it in my heart. And uh, it goes like this. It says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, (laughs) There's a lot in that verse that I love, but I want to focus in on where it says, by the power of of the Holy Spirit, that you would abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the first thing that really stands out to me is that the kind of hope that we're talking about comes only by the power of the Spirit. In fact, that word power right there is the is the Greek word dunamis, which is where we get the English word dynamite. It means it's that explosive miracle power. Whenever you see some sort of crazy breakthrough, um, when Jesus is healing somebody, or there's a miracle, or there's a deliverance, it's tied to that word dunamis. It is the, the backing, the dynamite force of heaven to remove hell from a situation, right? And so the kind of hope that we're talking about as Christians is not a sort of bury your head in the sand kind of hope. It's not a sort of like detached from reality, sort of like, well, it'll all just work out kind of hope. This kind of hope is rooted and only comes by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And so if we look at the definition of hope, because it can be a little confusing, sometimes uh, hope and faith seem similar. And so, but the, the definition of hope, it says, at least on Google, <laughs> is the confident expectation of good. So hope is the confident expectation of good. And actually the old timey meaning of hope is simply trust. 
So hope is not wishful thinking. Hope knows deep in your guts, like hope is convinced all the way in your core that God is good and that no matter the situation, whether you know exactly how it's going to work out or not, you are convinced in your core that God is good. Hope is ultimately like a deep sense of trust in a person. You know how Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. That is hope. Now, what's the difference between hope and faith? Well, faith, as far as I understand it, um, and I've heard Chris Valentin break this down really well, but faith sees, right? Faith uh, is when, it's it's like, for instance, Moses on the mountain and he gets downloaded with this vision, this prophetic supernatural vision of the tabernacle. And so he's able to walk it out according to what he saw on the mountain. God gave him a vision and he was able to see not only that God was going to do something good, but how he was going to do it. He was able to partner with God, right? So um, now people a lot of times misunderstand this and they'll say, they'll quote that scripture that says, well, brother, we walk by faith and, and not by sight. And they'll often use that as an excuse to walk in in powerlessness, right? Or they'll say, you know, when, when they don't know what's going on or they don't have any discernment for a situation, they'll say, well, we walk by faith, not by sight. But the thing is, that scripture is not talking about faith, you know, in the sense, it's, it's not talking about sight in the sense of like, we don't have access to what's going on. On the contrary, Jesus said, I call you my friends and friends always know um, what their master is doing, right? Um, but what it's saying is we walk on this planet with a supernatural inward vision view of what God is doing and where things are heading, not by what we see with our flesh and blood eyeballs, right? We do have sight. We're not blind. We're not hopelessly wandering. We have sight. It's just not a sight that's always in the natural, if that makes sense. So faith deals with specifics. Faith deals with, I see a pattern in the spirit. But hope, hope feels. Hope is more intuitive. Hope is more of a, like being convinced deep down in your soul, whether or not you have the specifics that everything is going to work out for my good, because I know who my God is. One of my favorite examples of this, one of the most hope-filled quotes I've ever run, aqua, uh, run across, sorry, is this quote here from Julian of Norwich, where she was in prayer and she was asking God because she was troubled in her heart, God, if you know, if you're in charge of everything, why would you allow sin? If you can foresee everything that's going to go on, why would you allow for sin and death and all of those things? And she had an open vision, meaning Jesus walked into her room and she spoke with him face to face. And this is what he said. He said, it was necessary that there should be sin, but all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. And when you spend time with Jesus... You, you begin to understand exactly what he's talking about, that you may not know exactly 
what he's up to. In fact, when you sign up to follow Jesus, you are signing up to be in over your head most of the time, right? But the more you watch him at work, the more that you are convinced that all will be well because he's just too good, too powerful for it not to work out. And so, um, just on a more practical level, I wanted to share three things. These are three, you know, I guess you could call them keys, but I don't really like that word because it makes it sound like things are locked up. This whole thing is wide open in Christ. But here's three, I don't know, tips, if you will, on keeping your heart in a place of hope. And number one is this, be in contact with the miraculous power of God. The heart that is in contact with the miraculous is a heart that is filled with hope. Because when you've seen God supernaturally invade and flip a situation, when you've seen someone who's on their deathbed and all of the doctors are saying there's absolutely no hope, and yet you've seen the power of God break through and totally remove the sickness from someone's life and they're healed, I mean, that does something to a person. All of a sudden, you begin to look at the world differently. All of a sudden, you begin to really see reality in the way of all things are possible, right? Um, You you know, it's like Bill Johnson has put it this way, which I, I kind of like, but I'd probably change it a little bit. But he says, you know, when you've seen God move in a specific area, you've lost the right to worry about it. Well, it's maybe a little harsh way of putting it, but I think it's true. It's, it's when you, for example, if you're worried about money and then all of a sudden God comes through for you in some unbelievable way, well, in the future, you don't have to worry about money because you know from personal experience that God always has enough money to go around. You know, if he did it once, he's going to do it again. He's not holding out on you, right? Um, and another... Sorry, <laughs> I was getting really hammered there for a second. Um, yes, you know, one thing that illustrates this really well for me is that show, um, The Chosen. I don't know if you guys have seen that. I love that show. But what's kind of interesting is the people in that, the, the disciples in that show are constantly, utterly confused by what Jesus is doing. You, you know, it's clear they're constantly asking him questions like, should we make a plan? You know, what, when is the timing? When are you going to go and kick some Roman butt? Like, you know, should we get together an army? Like, you know, what would you have us do? And Jesus is constantly subverting their expectations. And you can see it kind of causes them a bit of anxiety. But over the course of the show, as they see Jesus healing people who are crippled and driving out demons and, you know, doing all of these miracles and and even delivering some of them personally from demons, you see their hope grow over the course of the show. And suddenly when other people are confused, they go, oh, you know what? It's okay. Because if Jesus is doing it, it's going to be okay. They say things like, I don't know where we're going. I don't know why you're doing it this way, but I know it's going to be good because I've seen you move (laughs) and I know you'll do it again. Right. You just learn to, you just learn to trust. And there's something about being in contact with the miraculous that really causes problems, causes, you know, difficult situations to lose their edge, to lose their, their sense of threat to you. Like I'll never forget when I first landed in Redding, California to go to, you know, Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. 
I remember being struck by how just like weird the Bethel students' reaction to bad news was, right? Like in the world, in, in most places, if somebody tells you, I have fatal stage four cancer and I have two weeks to live, right? Most people go, oh no, I'm so sorry. That's so terrible. <laughs> but when you go to Reading, it's like people are seeing miracles so frequently that they almost have a like a, a, a opposite reaction to bad news. They go, oh yes. Okay, let's pray. This means we're going to get to see God move again. Or like, oh, Oh my gosh, I, my, my whole family just fell apart and now I'm divorced and my car blew up and they just go, oh, perfect. Let's pray because God's going to do something amazing, right? So getting in contact if, look, if you're not seeing power move through your life, that's okay. There are plenty of people out there who are, and what's good is to just be around people. Go to a service, go to something where you know God is going to be moving in power because it really fundamentally shifts something in your heart, in, in your view of reality, right? So that's key number one. Key number two is to to frequently remind yourself of testimonies of when you've seen God move. There are times in my life where I see a lot of the power of God. I see people healed. I see miracles. I see, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, but there are times too, there's, there's an ebb and a flow to it. There's times where, you know, I pray and I don't feel like there's any change. And yet at the same time, I'm not seeing any miracles at all. It's, it's like I could pray for a hundred people and nothing will happen. Now, I don't know why that happens, and thankfully my sense of power is not rooted in my results. It's rooted in what Christ has done. But it's really useful in those seasons to to go over those testimonies. That's why no matter where I minister or where I go, if I if I do anything and I see God do something at like Walmart, I write it down on my phone. Because it's so good for my heart to go back over those testimonies and be like, oh, yes, I remember that one time when I was at Walmart and God healed 15 people. Or I remember that time I went to the beach in Florida and uh, we saw Jesus, you know, deliver somebody right there on the beach. And so, you know, that's why I actually started that series Um called God Stories on, on this podcast where you can go back and I share some of my favorite testimonies. But yeah, man, it's like, look, there are times in our seven-year adventure here in Cleveland where I just felt beat down. I felt discouraged. I felt like I don't, I don't know how I could possibly move forward. And yet I go through my notebook and I remember that time that I walked right down the street from my house and I met this family who was dealing with, you know, drug addiction and they and the the parents were um so high that the kids didn't even have diapers or clothes on they were completely without clothes and so our friends we we got together we bought them a bunch of clothes and we took their kids to our kids ministry gave them rides and and like that same family I'll never forget the when I went there the house smelled of of you know just human body odor and over in the corner was the grandma who was at one time the primary caregiver she was laid out on a cot and her limbs were all twisted up from you know arthritis and all this stuff she she was bedridden and I'll I'll never forget 
my friends and I praying over her and the deep, dramatic sense of power that came into the room and, uh, and, and then, you know, saying our goodbyes and then going to visit the next week to follow up and asking about grandma. And they said, oh, sorry. Yes, yeah, she's not here today. Yeah, she got healed <laughs> after you guys prayed for her. And she's been out and about ever since. Like she wants to go explore and, and you know, just be an active person. It was so fun. And, and I'll never forget, too, like the the one of the guys in that house, when he told me, he said, ever since you guys have been here, it's as if God has lived in this house. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I don't know. I just, I just feel like God lives in this house ever since you prayed for us. You know, rem- maybe I'm having a, a down week, but when I remember what God has done, all of a sudden, it's like my soul is there again. I feel that electric power flowing through me. Even as I'm sharing that into my, into my iPhone to you guys right now, I feel the electric power of God. But another important thing about remembering is that it, it keeps you rooted in the reality that we serve a supernatural God who is not always going to do things the way that we think they should be done and not always going to do them when we think we should be done. Okay, and, and an example of this um, is, uh, you know, my wife is a doula. So she's, uh, essentially like a, a birth encourager. She's a birth coach. She helps women kind of create goals for the type of birth experience they want and helps them in the throes of giving birth to like stick to those goals, to comfort them, to, to feed them, give them whatever they need, you know, to have an amazing and, and trauma-free birth experience. It's such an awesome work. But one thing that we've seen over and over and over again, and this is not a knock on our doctor friends, and this is not a knock on anybody who's received intervention, but, you know, there's this principle that God has designed the woman's body so carefully, so meticulously, that it really is amazing how well everything works, you know, like how the baby's too wide, but then at the last second, the baby will pivot so that it can fit through and how the actual bone structure will will stretch, you know, to accommodate birth and then shrink down. It's just amazing how how wonderful that whole process is. But what happens a lot of times is because the hospitals are on a schedule that is often very different from the the schedule of natural, you know, bodily functions. Um, it, there's this temptation to mess with the process. Well, what if we just speed this part up? Or what if we just artificially change this? And what happens is you see, if you mess with one part of the process, the rest of everything tends to get all messed up. And when you think about how God does things, it doesn't always make sense. It sometimes causes discomfort to us because of how slow or how fast or or whatever you know just thinking to myself right now I'm just reflecting sorry this is a bit of a caveat but you know I've had this rock band glowing Moses for five years we've been chipping away at it and had you know all these setbacks all these things and then right now as I'm about to leave the city and move to a different place we just ended up signing this awesome record deal that's going to open tons of stuff up for us and it's just like God I don't understand your timing but the thing is just like you know Abraham and Ishmael like if we get 
too nervous, there can be a tendency for us to try to put our hands on things and try to accomplish it ourselves. But when you're frequently remembering uh, you know, sharing testimonies, keeping yourself rooted in the fact that you've seen God move in miraculous ways. It keeps your heart in a sense of peace and patience to trust that he really does have your best interests in mind and he knows what he's doing, right? Um, you know, one of the most oft commanded, I'm sorry, oft repeated commandments in scripture is to remember. You know, there's whole Psalms that said, remember who brought you out of Egypt. You know, remember who drove the Canaanites out of the promised land. Remember who planted you there. Remember, remember who parted the waters. Remember, right? And and you see this again and again. It's like the Israelites failed to remember that God was a very supernatural God who had pledged himself to them and, and had pledged himself to bringing out their best interest, right? All right, and so the last key here, oh, and I feel it, I feel a preach coming on, (laughs) is to to keep yourself rooted in the truth, is to keep yourself rooted, you know, um, is to flush your mind constantly with the gospel truth of who you are. And who, who does Jesus say that you are? Well, he says that you have power and authority, right? All this miraculous power we've been talking about, he gave it to you. He, he handed the dunamis power of heaven to you. And it says you have authority, which means you have authorization, which means he has delegated the ability to use discretion on when and where the power of God moves. You have a green light. <laughs> and so not only do you have the dynamite, but you have the license to use it. So whenever you see a situation in your life, in someone else's life that appears hopeless, well, you are rooted in hope knowing that you have power and authority to change the situation. In fact, you know, if you look at uh, ancient Jewish culture and the idea of, of rabbis and disciples, well, in that culture, Disciples didn't just sit at the feet of rabbis and learn their teachings. You know, they didn't just learn their principles. To be a disciple, they, they used to have a saying that said, may the dust of your rabbi fall on you because they wanted to walk so closely. They wanted to emulate everything so closely that they would hope that the same dust that their rabbi kicked up would be the same dust that would land on them. They ate what their rabbi ate. They talked the way their rabbi talked. They slept where he slept. You know, they, they copied his mannerisms. And so to be a disciple of Jesus is to do and walk in a way that he walks. You know, it says, if anyone does not walk in the way that he walks, um, they're deceived, right? So what did Jesus do? Well, we know it says, Jesus of Nazareth went around doing good and healing all who were sick and oppressed of the devil. So anytime in your life that you see hell showing up, You have the power and the authority to do it because you are a disciple of your rabbi, Jesus, right? It says, um, you know, Jesus gave this, this famous, like great commission. And he said, um, go and make disciples. And he said, teaching them to obey all of the things that I commanded you. Well, what does all of the things include? 
Well, it certainly includes Matthew 10, 8, which is to go heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, right? If Jesus did it and he transferred his power and authority to his disciples, and we are the disciples who are taught to obey all the things that the disciples did, then we have that same power and authority. And hope knows that. Faith knows that. You know, one last little point here, but it's like, how many people, how many people are waiting for a word from God before they move? You know, how many people are waiting for a word or they're waiting for some sort of confirmation before they go and pray for somebody who's sick? Well, you know, you think about the word authority, it's like, uh, if you think about somebody who's like um, a garbage collection person, like a, you know, how weird would it be for them to drive the truck around, stop at somebody's house, see a trash can that's full, and then stop and call their boss and say, hey boss, we got another trash can. You mind if we pick it up? You know, do we have your authority to pick it up? Yeah, that would be, they would get fired immediately. Why? Because, because through the organization in which they work, they have the delegated authority by the city of Cleveland or Boston or whatever. When they see trash, they have the authority to pick it up and put it in their truck and haul it away. Or a police officer, you know, if they saw a robbery happening at a 7-Eleven and they said, oh, you know what? I better check in. Go call the chief. Hey, yeah, this guy's got a gun. Ooh, I, I guess he's firing the gun. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Can I, can I deal with this? What would their chief do? They'd be, they'd be belligerent. They'd be so mad because they'd be like, no, you have a badge. That means you have delegated authority to choose when to make an arrest and stop something from happening, right? You are that person on the planet Earth. You are Jesus's hands and feet. So you have the delegated authority by the, by the name of Jesus Christ over you to, to see hell eradicated from the earth. And so my friends, I just wanted to leave you with this, you know, not so much some big, amazing revelation or new thing, but more just a feeling of hope. And so as you're listening, if you would just put your hands out, ooh, I'm just going to invite uh, the Holy Spirit to manifest himself to you. And let's just wait for a moment. Holy Spirit. <laughs> I thank you for your power. Oh. Jesus, you said you would disclose or reveal yourself to us. Right now, Lord, for everyone listening, I pray that you just reveal and disclose a new and fresh awareness of the power of God in their lives. Holy Spirit, I loose the angels. I loose the angels right now on assignment to, to release um, fresh downloads of the tangible, miracle-working, Holy Ghost dunamis power. Power. Father, in the name of Jesus, I release a fresh baptism of power. <laughs> oh wow theologically I don't know really how this all works I don't know where I stand you know because I believe in impartation you know I believe that we are all 
one with Jesus. We have the fullness of Jesus inside of us. And so nobody carries something that nobody else already possesses. But at the same time, I'll never forget when I went to a, a Randy Clark meeting. And before that meeting, I saw a measure of power. You know, I would see a certain amount of miracles or certain types But after I got electrocuted on the floor for three hours at this Randy Clark meeting, it's like all of a sudden I could feel that the well of the power of God was coming from a deeper place. It's like all of a sudden when I started to pray for people, um, before my hands would get hot. But now when I pray for people, my whole body like goes numb with warmth. I can feel the electric current of the spirit in me. And I started to see like all kinds of creative miracles, you know, metal melting out of people's bodies and like bones being replaced and stuff. And, and so I don't know how that all works, but I don't, I know that it does. And so I, I just feel a grace right now for a fresh baptism of power coming upon you as you're listening. Yeah. Yes. Ooh. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, I'm going to wrap it up there. Um, To all my friends in Cleveland, I love you so much. I'm so thankful for you. I'm unbelievably thankful for the time that we got to spend together. You guys have made such a major impact on me, and I I will always, always, always hold Cleveland so near and dear to my heart. And so uh, I just want to close out with this. If you could just put your hand on your heart, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read. Well, I'm actually not reading it. I'm saying it out of my memory. But I'm going to say recite this scripture for you as a blessing. It says, "May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit." Love you guys. Thanks so much.